Blog Talk Radio. I'm Robert Rogers, and this is Parkinson's Recovery. You are connected to a show where we going to we are going to be presenting a discussion and interaction with Dr. Matt Ford from the University of Alabama in Birmingham. I am, as I speak right now, dialing in to Dr. Ford's number so that we can connect in and find out everything there is to know about music and how it is uh, possible to use music to get help uh, well, if you happen to currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. Dr. Ford, this is Robert. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Robert. It's good to be here. It's wonderful for you to be able to connect in and join us today on the radio show, the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Show. Tell everyone about yourself. Uh, well, I'm a physical therapist uh, by training and uh, have a Ph.D. related to neuroscience and movement science. And I spend uh, most of my professional time now uh, working with individuals with Parkinson's disease from doing uh, looking at specific uh, interventions to try and improve their mobility to uh, developing uh, and trying to deliver c- uh, comprehensive health and wellness programs to improve their quality of life here in uh, Birmingham. So you are uh, an assistant professor in the Department of Physical Therapy at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and had many choices available for what particular uh, illness or condition you might want to focus on, why did you elect to focus all of your energy and attention on individuals who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's? Well, it's a it's a good question, an interesting question, but uh, I think uh, after spending uh, in my in when I was in the clinic, uh, spending time with various uh, uh, individuals with various neurologic populations, one of the things that uh, becomes apparent with individuals with Parkinson's, despite it being a progressive disease, uh, people uh, become uh, very uh, quickly educated about their disease and very proactive about doing everything they possibly uh, possibly can related to the disease. So for a healthcare professional like a physical therapist, uh, it's an it's an opportunity to work with someone who's very motivated to do everything they can to try and uh, fight the progression, to try and improve their function, improve their quality of life as as best as possible. And also, it it didn't hurt that uh, here at UAB we have uh, perhaps uh, one of the best group of neurologists and movement disorder specialists uh, in the world, and so it's a natural fit and extension related to what they're doing. In a way, then, you really do explain why we have so many listeners to the Parkinson's Recovery Radio show every week, a uh, set of motivated individuals who are looking for ideas of what they can do to get relief from their symptoms. Well, you've added to physical therapy the idea of music and sound. How did that evolve? Uh, well, it, it, it came from uh, some First in the clinic, where in working with not only individuals with Parkinson's but other neurologic deficits, uh, you you discover different ways to try and get people to move uh, more efficiently, more independently, more effectively. Um, beyond just telling them to walk fast, uh, you discover that by giving them some sort of cue. Uh, calling out uh, time one two one two, or clapping your hands, or, or perhaps having them call out, that you start to notice that that improves their walking, and uh, that kind of led to when I started to explore my graduate studies, led to um, an interest to explore how rhythms would affect the coordination of um, upper body and lower body movement as people walk. So uh, I don't have any I don't have any uh, um, musical talents per se. Can't sing, can't dance, and I can't play an instrument, and never have. So it really stemmed from uh, my work in the clinic, and then my interest from how music uh, affects how people move, and also affects their brain. And so it it started with my dissertation work, and then uh, continued with that line of work as I moved into a faculty position here at UAB. Tell people about your dissertation. 
Uh, well, what what uh, what I explored on, uh, in my dissertation was similar to what we're doing here in that, uh, uh, except it was in a population of individuals with who have uh, had a stroke. And what we are interested in looking at is the effects of uh, rhythms, but also arm swing. And obviously that, uh, for for those out there, uh, individuals with Parkinson's, they, they know that that is uh, significant in their life and that many of them initially have uh, problems with arm swing. And so what we're interested in is how people may adapt. They're walking as a result. We know that um, uh, as uh, humans, we're, we're upright when we walk, but there's uh, some evidence out there to suggest, uh, depending on your viewpoint of evolution, that we, were, we, we evolved from quadruped to biped, and as a result, our, our arms have a distinct coordination. Our brain is organized in a way with distinct coordination so that they swing a characteristic way. And there's evidence to, to show that. Uh, but we also know as humans that we have flexibility in our arms. So really, for us, they're meant to essentially manipulate objects, bring, um, if you think in terms of evolution, bring food to mouth or things to our mouth or to our upper part of our body. Uh, and so when they're not, when we can walk and essentially carry something at the same time. But what we do is we slightly change our walking, and we're able to change how our legs move ever so slightly that allows us to, for example, cross the street and carry a box. Uh, but uh, what we're interested in is someone with, back to the dissertation, someone with a, uh, who's had a CVA, similar to Parkinson's, they can lose arm swing. And so how do they adapt? And can we utilize uh, what we know about arm swing to improve their walking? And uh, what we found is that uh, certainly they, they do uh, change their walking uh, if, uh, if um, if they have an alteration in terms of the function of the arm, it swings a different way, and it can uh, negatively impact how their upper body moves and how their lower body moves. And I think the take-home message from that, which again applies to persons with Parkinson's, is that uh, there's uh, something to be gained uh, in walking by addressing how someone swings the arm. If a person then does have a challenge with arm swing, what would you recommend that they consider doing? Well, number one in general, especially for those individuals where it's their dominant arm, is to use it as much as possible. And I realize with persons with Parkinson's that can be extremely difficult, especially if you have some moderate to more severe motor symptoms in that dominant arm. Uh, it can become very frustrating, especially in, in public environments, to use it if you've got a great deal of tremor or perhaps you have uh, some dystonia or some pain in that arm. It can be, it can be difficult. But still, I would encourage people to, to use it because what we do know with Parkinson's is what, what, what persons with Parkinson's practice is what they get better at. Now, relative to walking, uh, something as, as simple as, and I think many people out there have probably tried this or been... Uh, asked to do this is to remind themselves to swing their arm when they walk. And if they think about it, uh, they're actually able to swing their arm more consistently. The difficulty in that strategy is that uh, walking an arm swing when you're not constrained by something, meaning natural arm swing, is it's an automatic process. And so even if we use different parts of our brain to remind ourselves and think about swing your arm, swing your arm, swing your arm, uh, after a period of time, it will break down. If you tried, if anyone, whether Parkinson's or not, tries to walk and think about your steps and literally or figuratively talk to yourself in your head about taking your steps, after a period of time, you lose your focus and your concentration. And with persons with Parkinson's, if they do that, then the arm swing tends to go back to where it was. If they're distracted with another task, the arm swing tends to go back to where it was. Which leads us to uh, one of the areas that we've been researching in terms of using music and that um, people walk, they use their iPod or some MP3 player or music within their house uh, that not only can they step to a beat, but they can move their arms and legs to the beat. And so you can normalize or improve or make your arm swing more efficient along with your steps that you're taking by trying to move it uh, to a walking to a beat or an external rhythm. And we, we know for uh, adults, hum, humans, that uh, if they walk at a fairly comfortable pace, that their arms tend to synchronize and move with their legs. 
And so if you have a particular beat that's comfortable to walk to, uh, instead of focusing on stepping to that beat, you can actually try and swing your arm to the beat, and you, I think people will notice an immediate improvement in arm swing. Should people then be playing music that they like around the house all the time in order to facilitate their ability to move from one room to the next? Uh, yes, I would. If I if um if if I have someone with uh, if I know people with Parkinson's, I suggest to them uh, as often as possible to have music going. Uh, it can um, do two things. One, we just described, it can help you move. And there is uh, research out there in the Parkinson's population to show not only in a laboratory-controlled setting, but actually in community environments, it's been shown to uh, have a very positive effect on their function and on their balance. But also, uh, there's outside of the Parkinson's population, we know that music has an emotional uh, effect on us and that it actually increases, can increase endorphin release. That is the, the natural painkillers within our body. And, and as a result, if you're assuming the music you're playing is what you enjoy listening to, if it has some background rhythm or beat and you're enjoying listening to it, not only are you moving better, but uh, I would argue that you're probably feeling better. Uh, now, the, the the only downside to this in terms of your question and playing it all the time is that many people out there with Parkinson's or not have certainly had a playlist, whether it's a tape cassette, a CD, or something on their iPod that uh, they've listened to over and over again. And over a period of time, probably they can begin to recite that music uh, verbatim and perhaps they get a little bit bored with it. So the solution to that is to switch it up, to explore some new music, something different, uh, that's stimulating and still enjoyable. There's no one particular magical piece of music that is going to be the solution for everyone. I guess what you're suggesting is that whatever a person is called to listen to might be what they ought to put on? Correct. I, I think I think uh, uh, the, the first overriding principle is that uh, you want to enjoy what you're listening to. Um, and so that would be the first thing is, you know, perhaps there are, you know, uh, genres of music uh, that uh, that you are um, uh, more attracted to, whether it's country or jazz or classical or rock and roll. That would be where I would start. What are you most interested in? And then certainly after that, uh, the certain all music has a certain background beat or rhythm. Some of it, how it's structured can uh, you can more easily extract or or synchronize to some of it's not as easy uh, but uh, that would be the second place I would go is trying to find a rhythm that improves your movement and um, uh, work with that and if you work with that over a period of time uh, what you're gonna what you sh should find yourself doing then is perhaps slowly finding music that you still enjoy but perhaps the rhythm the rate at which that music moves is increasing. Same idea that when you, for those out there that have either, either work out or they have gone to a physical therapist and received an exercise program, I'm sure they've heard or had some discussion about progressing their exercise. And I would say the same goes for music related to walking. We know that as we progress the music along that people actually walk faster. So it goes back to, yes, you've got to enjoy what you, what you are listening to. That would be number one, because uh, you're likely going to be listening to it quite often. Number two, find a, find a beat that you can move to. And then number three would be progressively increase that beat to try and improve your walking capabilities. So does it make the most sense then for people to start with a beat that's relatively slow if they're having movement challenges and then once they're able to walk without difficulty at that beat then that's when they try to find other music that has a little faster beat yes and and for some in individuals out there and um uh, for some individuals out there I would you you want to find something that you are comfortable moving to and I think for many out there if they took a 
if they took their iPod or something in the uh, CD player and they started playing different music, they'd find something uh, that they can they can move to. And, and I think what they'd find is they immediately move better. Uh, then uh, for some people, uh, it would be relatively easy to increase the rhythm and be able to progress or improve their movement. While others, for various reasons, whether it's their Parkinson's disease symptoms or perhaps they're just getting into uh, a point in their life where they are trying to increase their physical activity but they fatigue more easily, they, if you try to increase it, they move. their movement is worse off. And so in that case, they'd want to scale it back and keep it at a rate that they can move um, uh, better at or best at and continue to work with that and, and every once in a while try and change it and increase it to see how they respond. But for those, you know, again, without seeking the assistance of a, of a healthcare professional, physical therapist who has some experience in movement, it's it's going to be up to the individual caregivers to kind of look at them and, and see how they feel relative to this. If it if it makes someone uncomfortable, if it makes them feel unsafe, meaning they feel like they're at greater risk for falling, then that's when they need to back off and try and find the rhythm and the music that they can move best to. The recommendation then, it sounds like, is for an individual to become a researcher with a sample size of one, and that subject is themselves. So you what got they it. do is basically... <laughs> that, uh, that would be good, and it would be great yeah. for all of us out here if they actually could collect their own data and report on it. But in the end, ah. that's not the most important thing. What's most important is that they're, they are finding something that they can do at home and it's improving their quality of life day in and day out. If they want to report True. on it, that would be great. But if they don't, that would be well, that would be quite amazing. Then, is there a particular format for the reporting, or are you just absolutely delighted to hear from anyone who is doing some experimentation on themselves? Well, I, uh, no. To answer your question, I wouldn't. I can't think of a format per se. I'm just. Uh, it, it would be. It would be great if there was a format out there or a forum out there for people to do that. And uh, uh, off the top of my head, I'm not aware of any, but I, I'm guessing someone out there who's listening probably is, could, is already coming up with some ideas or perhaps some, has some ideas, especially with today's technology. There's, there's probably a, a, a multitude of things that could be done for people to share uh, what they're doing at home and, and how they're having success or not having success. It would be amazing to collect together all of that evidence, put it in one place, do a little analysis, and then turn that back and show people what really can happen when you begin to be more careful about monitoring how music is affecting your walk. Yes, I, I agree. We're going to be sponsoring a Parkinson's Recovery Summit uh, just outside of Portland, Oregon on March the 7th. If you need research subjects, please please come. We're going to have a lot of people there who are all on the road to recovery, and uh, it may be that would be an opportunity, especially if you're looking for uh, a way to get a lot of subjects quickly. Everybody will be convened together at the same place. Where, tell us more about your current research. Uh, well, um it's very similar to what we've just been discussing. What we are currently working on, uh, speaking of, of technology, is uh, looking at ways that we can modify music uh, to make it specific, more specific to the individual. So one of we talked about some of the basic evidence behind the use of music and mobility. While it's consistently shown to improve uh, walking capabilities. Uh, the timing of people's of the timing of their movements when they walk, the the length of their steps, the the efficiency of their muscle activity. The what we've also seen consistently is that when the music is taken away, uh, they tend to go back to what their original baseline was. And so one of the things that we're beginning to work on here at UAB and with the Department of Music here at UAB is 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 there a certain dosage of music that would get someone through a seven-day period? So can they listen to music A at rhythm B for three times a week, 30 minutes a session, and in between those times, will it carry over so that they don't need the music, 
but will continue to show or keep the improvements they get with music. They just need their dosage of music three times a day. Simple analogy, which I'm sure everyone out there understands, is they've uh, many people who are taking medications uh, have probably dealt uh, with uh, trying to find the best dosage in terms of how often they need to take uh, their uh, dopamine medications uh, during the day. Perhaps some have discovered uh, different ways to manage potential off time. And essentially what we're looking at relative to music is to eliminate that off time. Uh, because what we have, again, consistently shown is that eventually there is an off time when the music is removed. And the, you know, the obvious answer would be, well, uh, keep your iPod, iPad uh, to your ears uh, uh, at all times. And that's not realistic, of course. Um, and so I think it's a matter of finding uh, what dosage is, is best for individuals. Do you have any preliminary results to discuss? Uh, no, we don't. We are just um, we're just starting to explore this and looking really what what we've spent some time doing is looking at uh, different ways that we can manipulate music and uh, whether certain genres are are uh, easier to manipulate than than others and so we're really at the preliminary stages of, of uh, preparing for this research at this point so no results at uh, today. When you mention uh, uh, creating a, a progression in the beat of the music, then one of the ideas, I guess, is to take a particular piece and then you just speed it up so that it's playing faster rather than finding a different piece that has a, a faster beat. Is that right? Correct. You, that is correct. Um, and uh, it's um, finding a piece that you might be able to speed up. Certain pieces actually would lend themselves to being will say still enjoyable if you slow them down, while others may not. Um, some are naturally faster, so perhaps uh, someone can um, uh, decide not to necessarily speed up a song, but might, if they needed to go from rhythm A to rhythm B, that the suggestion might be, well, if you speed up that particular song, it's, it's not extremely helpful. It doesn't lend well. But if you go to this song over here, that's naturally at this rhythm, and that's more appropriate. So a simple place to start, which we're starting to do uh, with a large library of popular music, is just start what, what are the natural rhythms of various songs. Because we could, um, when it comes down to it, is if I had a playlist that covered the gamut of various rates and rhythms and different genres, it would still not fit what some people out there would want. So I think, uh, well, uh, we would never suggest or never uh, expect a person with Parkinson's to show up to the neurologist with their own dopamine medication that the neurologist will tweak. What we are probably leaning towards in due time is individuals uh, showing up with their own playlist and being able to help them and, and give them suggestions as to how certain songs will work, what songs can be adjusted, and how so. Oh, that's absolutely amazing. For a person who's listening, they may be thinking, oh, boy, that sounds kind of interesting, but I really don't have a clue where to start. I don't know a whole lot about music. Do you have any specific recommendations on a song or a piece or several songs or several pieces that they might just start with? Well, um, I, what I would – the way uh, – not so much a song, but um, – the the way I would suggest uh, people go about exploring this on their own is to take what music they have, uh, listen to it, turn it on, get find uh, you can find these relatively cheaply at, in in your community, whether it's a music store or your local Walmart, whatever it might be, but a metronome, and uh, set the metronome and just on your own. Try and find the beat that you think matches that music. Now, what many people will discover is things they haven't heard before within the music. If they really spend some time listening to it, they'll hear some things that they perhaps didn't pay attention to before. But um, find, um, uh, find a metronome that you can m try and match the rhythm to. That would be number one. The second thing I, I would suggest people do, which is exactly what I've done here, 
is find a family member, a friend, someone in your local church, your work, wherever it might be, who has a musical background. Uh, you know, here at UAB, um, we are we pride ourselves relative to our research in terms of collaboration, and so uh, for me to try and tackle a lot of these questions uh, with again no music specific music background uh, in terms of singing or performance would be foolish, and so uh, it's been instrumental for us to collaborate with uh, a, a group of um, a department here that actually specializes in music technology. And so for people out there, I'd find someone who has some experience with music. And nowadays there's there's so much software out there that is accessible that people can uh, kind of play with their music and also start to create their own rhythms or beat um, on their own. So uh, I'd, I'd find their local resources, someone who, if they're not an expert, someone who is an expert. You are currently designing your research study and, of course, having to look at uh, the actual music that you'll be using. Is there a point where you're going to be needing research volunteers soon? Uh, yes, I'd say probably later this summer. It will be the first where we will begin to uh, explore the various uses of this music. And uh, there's two ways we're going to go about doing this. Uh, we uh, work closely with a group here in Birmingham uh, called the Lakeshore Foundation. They are a health and wellness facility for persons with disabilities. So not only are there members there with Parkinson's disease, but uh, young kids with various physical disabilities to older adults. So we they have Parkinson-specific programs already, and so we have ongoing uh, mobility programs there. So we'll be exploring it um, there at that facility, but perhaps more uh, relevant or of interest to people uh, in listening audience outside of Birmingham is that we're going to begin looking at ways that we can um, distribute the music and study it in a community setting, uh, prescribe a program for people, have them basically monitor uh, how they're doing, uh, keep up with a particular um, uh, frequency, uh, in terms of weekly walking, and uh, track them over a period of time. Because in the end, what we're looking for is is a, a program that people can do uh, within their community on their own. This particular... It would be later this summer is where we would probably be first initiating these uh, 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 first bit of projects. Uh, so it sounds like it's possible that this could fold into uh, opportunity for people who live far distant from Birmingham, Alabama, uh, to participate. Would that be the case? That is, would you possibly be soliciting uh, volunteers who live elsewhere who would be able to listen to the music and then monitor their own uh, walking? Yes. One of the things that um, uh, that we are trying to do here with our research is we recognize that if we're doing a particular research project here, it can be very helpful to the participants here in Birmingham, the community here in Birmingham, but when it comes to delivering that to the out, outside of Birmingham, that can be very difficult. So as a result, we're trying to develop studies that we can send or move to various locations. So, for example, um, we keeping uh, here at UAB keeping constant contact with with Northwest Parkinson's Foundation there in 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 Seattle, uh, uh, groups in California as well as the central part of the U.S. and in the Northeast. And so, when it comes to while well, initiating this process, will probably be more local. When we outline the program in a manner which we feel more comfortable and confident in sending it out. Uh, we'll be sending it out to uh, various groups or areas with groups that we typically collaborate with. When that time comes, be sure to let me know. We can uh, do a follow-up radio show interview and solicit volunteers who would live Canada, United States, Mexico, all over the world, really. And that might be interesting for you to then to be able to uh, begin collecting data from people who live in many different communities when you get to that stage. I think that would be wonderful, and I welcome the opportunity to, uh, when we get closer, to be able to do that, because that would be 
a big help because, as, as I think most people know out there, all, all the research that's going on relative to Parkinson's disease, whether they're looking at the genetics to improving quality of life, in the end, we need uh, we need participants. We need help from those individuals um, uh, with the disease. So that would be a great help to to all of us here. I do know from previous shows of individuals who are doing research projects that when we do put out a call for research volunteers, there's a wonderful response. There's just an incredible community of individuals that are more than happy to uh, lend their support to these kinds of research endeavors, especially one that's non-invasive, that's safe, and innovative. Uh, so, And, of course, there are also many people who are musicians. They would love to be able to support your work. Well, and, and you know, the, the last point you made is an interesting one in, in that um, one of the things that uh, has to be considered when utilizing music is is the fact that, uh, in, I mentioned before, having people send, um, uh, bring their playlist in to us in the fact that, you know, give them suggestions, help them, uh, help them uh, modify it according to what their needs are. And one of the reasons for that is because with uh, with music, there are issues related to copyright. And so when you talk about musicians out there, I would love to hear from musicians who uh, create their own musical pieces, whether it's instrumental, whether it has vocal, whatever genre it might be. Uh, we have a couple local groups here who uh, who are uh, have volunteered to uh, come into our local studios and, and and create some music that we can manipulate um, uh, without worries of copyright or without going through some of the the channels we need to go through relative to copyright. So I would love to hear from those individuals out there who are musicians who would be willing to volunteer some time or some some of their performance or productions they've had previously or would be willing to do um, for us to manipulate or utilize to help persons with Parkinson's. I am quite sure that some of the individuals listening to this are musicians, and they're probably thinking, well, yeah, that's a great thing for me to do. Other people may not be musicians, but you know musicians. So would you please contact people who you know love to play music and suggest to them that this might be an opportunity for them to be involved in a quite exciting research possibility. How would an individual who would like to connect up with you and offer their music do so? How do they get in touch with you, Matt? Uh, the easiest way is just via uh, email. Uh, we tend to live off of email these days. So um, if uh, you like, I can, whatever is easy, I can give it, uh, give it out now or I can give it to you and you can share it with individuals, whichever you prefer. Well, we can do both, but why don't you go ahead and put it out now so people who are okay. listening can write it down. Okay, very good. It's uh, real simple. It's you. just uh, mford, F-O-R-D, at uab.edu. So mford at uab.edu. I just ask people that the way, uh, the amount of email we get nowadays, a lot of it goes to junk. So just uh, put some 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 eye-catching, important subject title so I catch it when it gets lumped in with everything else that's out there. Might even uh, reference the radio show and that you're following Perfect. up uh, to offer uh, some help with regard to uh, your research program so that, again, it doesn't get eliminated. What a what an absolutely stunning offer. Uh, I'm guessing that there will be individuals that would absolutely love to participate in that effort. And uh, and there are some remarkable musicians out there that just happen currently to be experiencing the symptoms of Parkinson's. So but what better way to heal yourself than to be involved in this kind of research effort? I agree. You made a statement, you made a statement early on, and I've got to ask you a follow-up question. You mentioned, uh, okay, one of the ways that people have of trying to help an individual who's having mobility challenges is to say, move faster, move faster, move faster, almost in the shouting sense. My question is, does that really help? Well, in in uh, in the shouting sense, per, perhaps not. Uh, in the simple sense that if if your your commands have some sort of timing or rhythm to them, yes, it can be very helpful. Uh, Oftentimes, you know, a person could could be helpful if they uh, literally yell at themselves, meaning 
if they when they talk to themselves what they're essentially doing is is uh, circumventing or trying to to uh, kind of go in a different doorway to get them their body moving again because again uh, walking uh in in this case is an automatic movement so by giving someone cues or commands whether they have timing or whether you're just yelling walk faster 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 that can get someone thinking about oh okay i need to walk faster and again they begin to think about it but as i described before uh after a period of time if those commands are not there then uh the walking will tend to break down or go back to what it was previously it's almost as if this is what army sergeants and navy uh enlisted people do when they're uh taking a battalion uh and they say ump one two three four rump one you know when they're shouting that or they're getting the group to shout loudly with the step that's actually facilitating their ability to march correct that is correct and even uh, for those out there who have some uh, military experience uh it, even if they fall out of rhythm uh themselves all they have to quickly do is look to their left their right in front of them and because of the synchronization of everyone moving and the external timing they can quickly pick up the beat and in the the reason being is because they're literally surrounded by people who are in synchron uh moving in synchron uh synchrony and and as a result while they may lose it for a moment, it's very easy to pick it back up uh, because of the environment that they're in. So it does help their movement. One of the individuals that I recently interviewed is professional dancer Pamela Quinn, and she had a very fascinating story about some of the things that she would do to facilitate her walking. And she explained that just the other day she was following another woman who happened to have high heels on and she could hear the tapping of the the steps on the pavement. And so she literally just mimicked and followed right behind her <laughs> with with stepping exactly at the very same pace that other woman stepped. And she said, no problem. She was able to keep right up with that person. It sounds like that's really the same idea you're talking about here. You got it. That's exactly it. And uh, it's a, that's a great example of someone... Uh, you know, again, as we described, persons with Parkinson's tend to uh, find various ways to get around uh, during the day, get through the day, and that's a good example of someone with Parkinson's being aware of their disease and how it affects them, and and picking up something so simple as as an external environmental cue and, and using that to their benefit. We talked a great deal about sound and music because, of course, that's a focus of your research. Uh, you are in, however, the area of physical therapy. Do you have any specific suggestions uh, beyond the area of sound and music that you'd like to suggest to people who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's? Well, I, I, I think um, uh, similar to what I said about music, I think what uh, people need to start with is um, uh, finding an activity that they enjoy and that they can do on a regular basis. Uh, the question we often get uh, from persons with Parkinson's about physical therapy is, can you tell me what is the best exercise for me? And that, that's, uh, I don't have the answer to that question, and I, I always tell people that even if I did, if someone will assume that it's swimming, if I told them, well, the, uh, swimming, we found, the research is very clear that swimming is the best thing for persons with Parkinson's, it improves all symptoms, improves your function. Well, for those individuals out there who hate the water uh, or can't uh, stay in the water too long, that doesn't do them a lot of good. They may try to like the water over a period of time, but eventually they're going to stop and, uh, and as a result lose the benefit. So the first principle is that they have to find an activity that they will engage in, that they'll uh, continue to do, and then from there... Uh, see if they can make it intense enough whereby they're they're raising their heart rate to a certain degree to get some physiologic benefit relative to their muscles and to their heart. A uh, simple way to do that uh, without even measuring your heart rate is a, what we call a, a talk test. And a good measure as to whether you're working hard or not is if, if you are, for example, if you go to the gym 
and you you you're in a regular routine and you say well i always i'm always on the treadmill or i'm i'm on the elliptical machine but you're on that those machines and you're uh, carrying on a a, a 30 minute conversation with the person next to you i'd argue you're probably not working hard enough and um if you know the ability to maybe answer a question or two make a statement or two uh, usually is the extent by which you, you should be able to do and in, in if you're working at an intense enough level. Now, for individuals out there who haven't been exercising on a regular basis, then they need to slowly work up to that. But I think the talk test is the most the simplest test out there. The other thing that that people could do, which is a little bit um, uh, more detailed or provides more information, is uh, nowadays there are various forms of heart rate monitors that people can buy off the shelf and uh, from very relatively cheap in the area of probably $30 to $40 to extremely expensive. But again, it will give you a, a real-time readout, a rough estimate of your heart rate, and you can kind of see, well, I like this physical activity of gardening. That's my favorite thing to do, and I do it every day. I get out there for an hour, but if you find that your heart rate really isn't increasing a whole lot, well, then you might need to either consider um, altering what you do while you garden. Perhaps you always sit. Maybe you need to stand. Um, or you need to add another activity. Um, but I would uh, find something you like to do because in the end, if you're, you, if you're exercising to try and improve your physical health, uh, combat the symptoms of Parkinson's disease, that's important. But you're not going to have success if you don't continue with that exercise. There's um, there's no exercise that you can do for three months that will carry a positive effect for the next three years. There's nothing out there. Um, we know that exercise is helpful for uh, improving the quality of life, improving function, improving strength, but the program needs to be maintained in order for persons to see that benefit. And persons with Parkinson's are no different than than anyone else in that everyone out there has probably started some form of an exercise routine and at some point in time have probably quit that same exercise routine. So uh, with Parkinson's, it's same story. They just have a little bit more that they're dealing with day in and day out uh, that they have to overcome to exercise on a regular basis. Having talked to hundreds and hundreds of people who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's, I can report that about half are great with their exercise programs and about half are not so good. And some of them really have still not been encouraged enough to exercise. Explain for people what is it about physical activity, what is it about exercise that makes such a big difference to people currently experiencing the symptoms of Parkinson's? Why is it exercise helps so much? Well, um, first off, with Parkinson's, one of, uh, it, it's obviously it's a progressive disease. So over a period of time, the, the symptoms that occur, whether they're motor symptoms or perhaps some uh, cognitive sy symptoms, uh, people have uh, can um, have some issues related to depression, uh, that can create this progressive cycle. So if you're starting to have motor symptoms, if you're feeling down, you're going to go out of your house less, you're going to become less active. So as a result, you become weaker, you're moving less, your joints don't operate as well. And you put that together with the fact that for the average individual with Parkinson's, we'll say that they're over 60 years of age, they're aging. So some people have labeled Parkinson's as accelerated aging. And, and so there, if you look at the, if you just can picture a slope of typical aging being at, at one degree, and you just take and make that slope a little bit steeper for persons with Parkinson's and aging, uh, they... That's a that's a difficult battle, and so what we know from uh, uh, individuals who are aging is that with regular physical activity, uh, their heart is healthier, their muscles can get stronger. If you are uh, 85 with Parkinson's, you can still go to the gym, systematically load your muscles, meaning use weights or move against gravity, and your muscles will still grow. Now, you won't 
no worries out there that people will turn into an elite bodybuilder, but the important point is that their muscles can will still respond to external loads that occur with weightlifting. So with persons with Parkinson's, we know that the exercise will improve muscle function. We know that, like all of us, if we tend to practice whatever it is we're doing, we get better at it. So persons with Parkinson's lose some of the automatic aspects of movement, the ability to recover from uh, certain activities in terms of balance, the ability to walk. But we, we know that if they can practice that, while without Parkinson's, maybe someone who's 65 wouldn't have to practice walking or recovering from balance, we know that if they do practice that, then their walking and balance will be improved. So uh, it's important because your body, even though you have Parkinson's, even though your brain chemistry is different, uh, your body will still respond to that exercise. You will still see the physical benefits. You will still see chemical changes that can have a positive effect on your um, issues related to depression. you know, there's just anecdotally for those out there that have at least uh, done at some point in time some rigorous, vigorous activity or exercise, uh, there's a change in your uh, uh, chemicals within your body that make you feel better. And for many persons with Parkinson's, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about improving their quality of life over a period of time. And while we would love to be able to say that like their dopamine medications, we could give them a pill that would make them feel better. Uh, that's not reality. In this case, we have to do a little bit of work to see the result and actually feel better related to the exercise. There are basically two components of exercise that you've made reference to. One of them is the heart rate challenge, and the other is resistance exercise where, for example, you're working with weights and you're working against resistance. Is it important that in any kind of exercise program, both of those two components be included, or does it really not matter that much? Uh, I think it does matter. Uh, if um, if if someone is going to uh, engage in regular exercise, I would, Im- I would um, uh, address both. Uh, I think it's important to point out to everyone out there uh, that um, um, you you should be checking probably first with your with your neurologist or your movement disorder specialist related to your medication. Some people out there have uh, some some problems with fatigue, but then also your primary care physician. There's I'm sure out there in the audience there are people with Parkinson's, but whether it's within their family or themselves, have a history of. of cardiac disease or heart problems, and before they jump out, uh, go into a fitness center and start exercising uh, on a regular basis, uh, they need to check with them. Uh, but they they should still be addressing both their aerobic capacity, their heart and lungs, as well as as their muscles. I think it's it's also important out there, and uh, some people may have experienced this, where as a result, maybe someone. Uh, doesn't have any significant heart history or any other uh, uh, medical uh, problems in their in their history, but because of Parkinson's and perhaps because of their age, whether it's their perhaps their neurologist, their primary care physician, and even their local physical therapist doesn't believe there's much that they can do because they have Parkinson's. And uh, I would encourage people to uh, find someone who is knowledgeable about the disease who can encourage them and also show them that they can strengthen their muscles, they can Im- improve lung and heart function, they can improve their f- their overall functional mobility, uh, even though they have Parkinson's and perhaps even uh, whether it's mild or more severe. Uh, but in the end, I would encourage some people to include a program that addresses both. You have made so many incredibly insightful comments in this particular discussion. What is the one point, the one idea that you have discussed that you want to make sure that listeners remember? What's the one key thought 
that you want everybody to think about as they go to bed tonight? Uh, I, I think it's um, that we as healthcare professionals um, uh, recognize that it is much easier said than done in terms of carrying out an exercise program. Uh, you know, I talk to people all the time who um, who know they need to exercise, and um, I, I think it's 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 important for people to one recognize it's important to exercise, but two also recognize that they're either putting up some barriers or they have some barriers in their life that are preventing them from doing so. And as a result, they need to try to address those uh, in order to be successful. Because what we can, the, what we can't get away from, uh, or a, you know, the reality is, is that there are benefits for people with Parkinson's to exercise. But we as healthcare professionals can't do it for them. I can't distribute a pill that will lead to those effects. The work has to come from the individuals. And uh, as a result, as difficult as that might be, that's the facts of of what we're dealing with. And so I I hope that people themselves and their caregivers and their family can work together to address what barriers there might be related to them carrying out exercise if they can address those, and I think they'll find that they can be more successful in sticking with exercise and see the benefits. As I translate your recommendation to myself, uh, my form of exercise primarily is running. And some days I find that I'll say to myself, oh, I really ought to run today. I'll feel so much better. And then the other part of me says, oh, I really don't feel like it. I think I'll wait till tomorrow. The suggestion you're making is I need to say to myself, wait a minute. <laughs> what do you mean you don't feel like it? Let's let's examine what you're doing to yourself so that I can really begin to reflect on how I might be undermining my own health and wellness. Yes, and, and I think um, that, that's exactly it. And And I think for... For individuals with with Parkinson's, um, they're obviously dealing with uh, a lot day in and day out, and that's very difficult. Um, But what I think they and their family members want is for them to be as healthy as possible for themselves, but also for their family. And so I think it's a a collaborative effort uh, in in order to allow that person to, to... get the benefits. And so perhaps for some people it helps them to think, well, this exercise is not for me. It's for my wife. It's for my husband. It's for my kids. It's for my grandkids because I know as much as I hate this, if I do it and I do it regularly, I'll be impacting their lives or my family's lives in a more positive way. And so it's a two-way street. If, if, If a family member can recognize that, that is with Parkinson's, know that that's what can motivate me, then hopefully their family can support them and help them remove those barriers so that they can exercise on a regular basis. That's a wonderful idea. I know there are people who wouldn't begin to do something for themselves, but if it's a question of doing something for their family, they'll do it. And so what you're suggesting is, look, you're not just helping yourself, you're helping everyone All of your family is going to be influenced by the fact that you're feeling better. So get out, exercise, feel better, and everybody's going to be a lot happier. Correct. Dr. Ford has put out a call to all of those uh, listening to the show today, all of those of you who are musicians, whether you have recorded your work or not. He's interested in hearing from you and getting your music and getting your permission to be able to work with the kind of music that you create in the research that he's now doing, which I think has groundbreaking possibilities for a therapy that has the promise of providing incredible relief to individuals who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's. So if you are a musician, please contact him and let him know of your interest in making your music available to him. 
And if you're not a musician, please think of those musicians that you do know, whether they have Parkinson's or not, and let them know about his need for being able to find music that he can use in his research program at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. You can contact Dr. Matt Ford at the following email mford at uab.edu, and I'm going to spell that a little slower. It's M as in Mary, F as in Frank, O as in Or, R as in Rogers, D as in Daddy, mford at, and then the initials of the university, U-A-B as in boy, dot E-D-U. And email him. Be sure to put a title to the email that will clue them in about what it is that you're trying to contact him. He, as everyone, gets lots of spam, and so there's a lot of deletions to the email. He obviously doesn't want to delete something from a person who's volunteering to contribute their music to his research program. Dr. Ford, what else would you like to be sure and say to listeners who are currently experiencing the symptoms of Parkinson's or their caregivers? Well, I think uh, most importantly, if if uh, if they need assistance, uh, whether it's um, uh, related specifically or directly related to their Parkinson's or indirectly, that they hopefully can find someone within their community to help them. It's a it's obviously a very uh, difficult disease, especially if you are recently diagnosed and new to the disease. It, you are overwhelmed with uh, so many aspects of it and what it means for your future that uh, whether it's a local support group, your uh, your primary care physician, a friend, whoever it might be, that people um, uh, go out and seek assistance in the opinions and experiences of others uh, to help work through this. Exercise or not, it's very important because it, assuming someone is correctly diagnosed right now, we can't change that. So when you're diagnosed with Parkinson's these days, you have it. And it's a matter of, of working through it and trying to adapt and live with it um, as best as possible. As a follow-up to that incredible recommendation, I'd like to be able to announce to everyone an opportunity to do just that at the Parkinson's Recovery Summit that will be held on March the 7th, that's a Monday, just outside of Portland, Oregon, in the delightful city of Vancouver, Washington. In the summit, we're going to collect together all individuals who are interested in exploring uh, what they can do to get relief from their symptoms through discussions with other people who are also on the road to recovery. We have also heard from a number of individuals who are health care practitioners who will be volunteering their services for free, or if not for free, for a very modest fee. So you'll be able to go, you'll be able to hear the stories of other individuals who are getting relief from their symptoms, you'll be able to find out what they're doing, you'll be able to network, and you'll be able to be able to actually get some free services from individuals who do lots of different things that are helping individuals get relief from their symptoms. So that's at the Parkinson's Recovery Summit. It is free, it costs absolutely nothing, there's no excuse not to come, so come. It's Portland, uh, uh, Oregon, and the actual place is basically a suburb of Portland in Vancouver, Washington. It's uh, going to be the event of a lifetime. We are literally making history because we're convening together a number of the individuals who have been guests on my radio show who are coming in and they're going to be available to uh, talk with you and share their own stories. So we're collecting together, and we're really, uh, as a collective community, building the wisdom of what it is that people can do to get relief from their symptoms. And as you've heard in the show today, Dr. Ford has incredible suggestions for what you now can do in terms of taking action to feel a great deal better. Dr. Ford, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of I know what is an incredibly busy and demanding schedule for being our guest on the Parkinson's Recovery Radio Show today. My pleasure. People will 
have greatly benefited from your suggestions, and you will have impacted many, many persons' lives. So thanks, thanks, thanks. My pleasure. And that's what's happening on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. Know that you are on the road to recovery by virtue of the fact that you are listening to this radio show. May you have a marvelous week, and we look forward to seeing you one week from today at 3 o'clock Pacific, 6 o'clock Eastern, where our guests will be the producers of the documentary, Ride with Larry. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Good day.